is the Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 122, operating on March 28, 2022. This is Doug and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Drew. We're two av geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Drew, we have a really fun-filled episode today regaling my final 737 flights, my mom's first non-rev adventures, and ultimately failures. <laughs> we'll talk about that yeah. and a lot of industry news, both good and bad. Let's jump right in. However, let's start with a continuation of what we discussed last week. You had your second flight, and I have a question. Do you still yes. love it? I love it, but it was different, Doug. First time I had, uh, I don't know if I can use their actual names because I haven't t- told them about the podcast yet. So we'll just say we ha- I had Kay on my first flight. We'll call her Kay. She was great because she let me actually, you know, take the controls and fly most of it, if not all of it, up until the landing where she helped out. But this time it was the owner of the flight school. And let's call him Tim. <laughs> I'll start using their real names, but I want to get their approval first. He was more of a, uh, I don't want to say a strong arm, but it, it felt like I was never 100% in control. So mm-hmm. it wasn't. And I don't want to say who's better, or who's worse. Uh, Kay, you were better. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not going to judge because he's he's doing it everything by the book. So it's completely two different styles, right? Where Kay kind of let me flow you know let me flow with it it was good we took off the weather was good still windy which is nice because i want some of those bumps so i want to get used to that mm-hmm. we flew the same route down to uh annapolis and back i am just yearning just to control this plane myself i know it's my second flight and i need at least 35 hours or something like that to get my private pilot's license i think i'll be done in 10 to be mm. honest <laughs> just kidding it was a great flight so we focus so last time i said i needed to focus more on the road yeah. and the air than the, the instruments. Tim was really good about telling me to sit comfortably and just take it all in and absorb and not be too focused on the instruments. And that part actually did work, even though he was always on the control. Like whenever I turned, I could feel a little bit of pressure from him. But I got to tell you, just for a brief moment, because you know I'm focusing on learning how to fly the plane, the instruments. I looked outside and he was telling me that's the Washington Monument on your left. There's Baltimore Harbor on your right. We had just turned around from Annapolis, which has a beautiful harbor. It is just breathtaking, but you don't have time to focus on that. But eventually, Doug, I mean, it, it is like, you know, anyone who's listening, who's thinking about flying, it's not just the airplane. It's the beauty of the earth we're flying over. And it's amazing. You know, this is the area that I live and I'm seeing it in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. Now, from a 737, I do see that, but it's real fast. Like, it's only five minutes. This was about an hour flight around my neighborhood. I could see where my house is, all the landmarks. It was just, uh, it was amazing. But one thing, Doug, so coming into land, I am not used to these general aviation short approaches. I want an approach like you have, which is like miles out (laughs) where I see the runway and I can make slight corrections. And it comes in gradually. No, this is a sharp left turn and boom, it's it's steep. And I'm always thinking, this seems really steep. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's the way it is because you don't want a 10 mile approach over over a sensitive, you know, airspace. It's it's not that necessarily. A, a lot of what it is, is that's the way to get more landings in a shorter amount of time. It's it's a traffic pattern and you, you get to yeah. 40, 45 degrees off the runway. You start your perch is what we call it, where you make that turn to the runway pull your mm-hmm. power, drop your nose a little bit, and then you just adjust on the way in. And yeah, I mean, you roll wings final just prior to the runway, basically. We we do that in the 10. That That's that's the way that I can get my students more repetitions in a short amount of time, as opposed to going out on these long, straight-in finals. Yeah, you're right. And eventually, I'll be doing touch and goes to get more practice on that, because um, it seems like the landing is the, the hardest part. Yeah. But it's also the part that I look most forward to, right? Because that's the that takes the most skill and effort, you know, to, to, to stick that landing. Yeah. How many so far so good? The landings have been good. I mean, I've been doing most of it, but the touchdowns have not been hard. Yeah. But it's thanks to my trainers, of course. How many instructors are at the school? Like how, so how there's many four. Okay. So you, you, four. you possibly could, could fly with all four 
and they're all going to have their own differing instructional style. And, and that's just something that you have to get used to in aviation, that you're not always going to be flying with the same person. You know what, Doug? And so that's the thing. So there's two that I haven't met. Tim is my primary instructor. He told me, so I'm your primary instructor, but if I'm not available and someone else is, you can go out with them. So I feel like he wants me to stay with him. He's also the owner of the school. So I kind of want to do that. But if I meet, I actually have scheduled with the other two instructors because Tim is not available coming up in April. And if I really click with one of them, I'm going to have to change. I have read a lot about where you need to have a really good relationship with your instructor. The two that I've had, they're excellent. But is there someone better that I click with? We'll see. But uh, like I said, they're both good. Doug, you had your final flight. Let's stop talking about the Piper Warrior. (laughs) We're going to talk more about the Piper Warrior. You're not done yet (laughs) with my um, Warrior memoirs. You had your final five flights on the Guppy, which is what we call the 737. I know you were only on it for about eight months. I can't believe it's so fast. It's gone by really fast. You started in July of last year. Mm -hmm. That just seems like yesterday. Did you feel a sense of nostalgia on your last trip? Because I did. (laughs) I I, I definitely did. Yeah, I I really did. And it was it was a great trip. It was Cancun and Tampa with a couple of intermediate stops in between. And I told the captain, this is my last trip on the 737. He was actually relatively new as a captain on the airplane. He had come over from the triple, which is where I'm going. He was an FO on the triple. So we really clicked, had had great discussions about both airplanes yeah, it, it there definitely was this sense of nostalgia, thinking that it wasn't goodbye to that airplane. I have a feeling I'll be back on it in several years, but it'll probably be in the left seat. It'll probably be as a captain, which meant that that was my last time flying it in the right seat as an FO. Can you go from the right seat? Can you go from a first officer on a triple seven to a captain of a wide body, or do you have to go to a narrow body? No, you first? if if you have the seniority to do it but it would take probably 25 years to get there. Oh, no. 25 years to be yeah. the captain of us to move straight to the captain's seat. Yeah, okay. it's it's possible. I, most people don't do that, though. Most people go from FO, from the right seat of a wide body to the left seat of a narrow body before they then move up to left seat of a wide body. So how long would you stay on I, the right seat? Really, it comes down to as long as I enjoy it. And that's the beauty of this job, Drew, is that you can move and you can change airplanes ultimately anytime you want. Granted, there there are some restrictions, some time restrictions based on what airplane you're on and, and how much time you've been on it. But mm-hmm. you can you can move freely back and forth as long as you meet those those time restrictions. People find where they're happy and then they they stay there for a really long time. And a lot of yeah. people, part of the reason why I'm so junior, or I will be so junior in the right seat on the triple, aside from the fact that I've, I've only been at the company for a year, is because a lot of senior guys who could be captains on narrow bodies are still in the right seat on the wide body because they just love it so much. Because the flying is great. The layovers are great. The, the pace of life is is great. I, I haven't flown it yet. I, I haven't even had my first sim. Actually, my first sim is on Wednesday for the triple. This airs on Monday. Two days later, I have my first sim. I, mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm going to love it. And once I mm-hmm. get to the actual airplane, Drew, I, I could stay on it for years and years if I wanted to. Right. And then finally, you're going to get the itch to be a captain more than, and that's going to overtake your desire to fly internationally on a wide body. And yeah. then, you know, the captain that we had on this show who retired, he was on the A320 for 15 years. Yeah. Pe- you know, that could be you. That, that's what I'm saying. Pe- people find what they like and, and they stay there. But the the final the final trip, as I said, I mentioned the captain, it was my final trip. And he said, listen, you tell me what you want to do. You tell me what legs you want to fly. You tell me what legs you want me to fly. This is this is your this is your show. So he really made it fun for me for for my last trip. So I got to fly the last two legs from Tampa to Chicago and then back to San Francisco. And normally the pilot who is flying the airplane doesn't do mm-hmm. the announcements. It's the pilot monitoring who who does the cabin announcements. And I was going to ask if I could do them. And he offered, he said, hey, since it's your, your last flight, if you want to make all the announcements too, I'm fine just sitting back and letting you do everything. <laughs> and I, I said, yeah, absolutely. Right. And you're a podcaster. So of course you love talking. So yeah. it's not like anyone has to force you to make it, the announcement. <laughs> it's funny because I, I did the welcome aboard announcement, which is uh-huh. it's a captain's responsibility. And he said, I'll, I'll let you do this for the last flight. 
Uh-huh. And I, I had my little note sheet like, hey, welcome on, you know, flight, whatever to San Francisco. It's three hours and 52 minutes. And I had everything written down and I, I didn't want him to see that I had a note sheet. I had the weather and all this. And he <laughs> didn't even know. And he goes, let me see your notes. And I said, what, what do you mean? He's like, I know you have notes. Let me see him. And I was like, oh, OK. So I handed over my pad of paper. He's like, hey, yeah. th- this is really good. And then uh, the gate agent came on and, and said, hey, everyone is boarded. And that's when we normally or when the captain normally does the welcome aboard announcement. What's the last person is boarded? And I stood up and he, he goes, what, what are you doing? I thought you were going to make the announcement. I said, yeah, I am from first class. And he's like, oh, that's great. He's like, oh, look at you. Look at you. <laughs> that's awesome. So I walked back. There. Well, you know, you might be someone might tweet you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love it when the crews do that because I see a lot of those tweets. Where yeah. Someone tweeted the captain making. An announcement. Yeah. So I picked up the mic and I was standing there at the front of first class and welcomed everyone aboard, said the flight attendant's name, said they're going to be taking great care of them, gave the weather information in route, weather in San Francisco. And then don't I said, tell us about your last flight, though. I want to save that. Oh, OK. Because you had a special guest. I did. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll wait to to explain all this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll come back to that. Now, we talked about nostalgia, right? Did you have nostalgia for that plane? I have always been a car person and a plane person, and I have nostalgia for every plane, every car, you know, that I've known or traveled in. You know, you and I love planes. You know, we have almost an emotional attachment with these things. You know, when you're young, you're either a GM person or a Ford person. (laughs) That's how I classify people. (laughs) So I've always liked GM. Now I'm flying a Piper Warrior. I've always been a Piper person over a Cessna person. For the listeners, the difference, the big difference is a Cessna has a high wing. The Piper Warrior has a low wing. And I kind of like that low wing look to it. And it's a beautiful little plane. You know, you have an attachment to this plane. I think it actually makes you a better pilot because you care about the plane. You care about the sounds it makes. You want to know everything about it. And if something goes wrong, you kind of have that connection to know all right, I know this this doesn't sound right, or I should do this to make it fly better. Do you have that attachment to the planes you've flown? Absolutely, I do. Yeah. In fact, in, in the Air Force, and I think we've talked about this, we have what we call finny flights, a, a final flight, where when it's your last flight on that airplane, people come out to the ramp and welcome you. They spray you down with water and champagne, and it's it's a big deal. We don't do that in the airlines just because it's... You can't really get your family out on the ramp and, and marshal you in and, and everything. But that doesn't mean that that feeling isn't there, that that feeling okay. of this is the last time that I'm, I'm going to do this thing. But as I said, nothing is, is final until it really is final. And I, I looked at it like it's a break from this airplane for a while. As I said, ultimately, I, I don't see right. how I would be back, how I won't come back to it. So it wasn't really it wasn't really goodbye. It was more a pause and and moving on. Mm-hmm. But that was that was the first airplane that I flew for the airline. So I'll always mm-hmm. look at the 737 with that. That was my introductory to airline flying. I'll, I'll, yeah. It'll always have a soft spot. I have more questions on this last flight. We will come back to that, Doug, but let's get some work done. We've got a mixed bag of stories, everyone, this week. Some negative, some positive. Let's start with the bad so we can end on a high note. What's going on? Drew, we do have a lot, so we're going to try and go through these almost shotgun style. This first one is from the Wall Street Journal. The FAA increases reviews of mid-air collision warnings for commercial flights. The article begins with the quote, Air safety regulators don't see imminent risk to passengers, but are studying close calls near several busy airports. The FAA and airlines don't think that there are imminent risk to passengers. However, air safety regulators say they're concerned with potential collision risks as traffic continues to rebound after the COVID-19 downturn. Technological advances in previous decades have largely diminished any chance of an actual mid-air incident, though airlines and FAA officials have flagged the fact that several instances of what they call dangerous close contact is on the rise, Mm. higher now than pre-pandemic levels near some airports. Some airports named as having increased risks are Minneapolis-St. Paul, Hollywood-Burbank, New York-JFK, Miami and Honolulu, as well as several Dallas-area airports. The FAA says it is working with officials from various aviation groups and is monitoring the situation. Data collected from the NTSB shows increases in airborne collision warning systems at several major hubs. Despite the increase, the total number of incidents is still in the dozens compared to more than 6 million tracked flights last year. 
and the last mid-air crash in the U.S. involving a passenger plane was more than 36 years ago. There's a lot to unpack here, but there are safety precautions in place. Right, and we talk about in aviation when something goes wrong, it's a horrible thing, but that leads to safety advances where it ends up saving a lot of lives in the future from what we learn. This mid-air collision 36 years ago, I mean, what a testament to all the safety procedures and features we have, right? That 36 years we have not had a mid-air collision with all this traffic. This happened in 1986. It was an Aeromexico DC-9 flying from Mexico City to Los Angeles. It had a collision with a Piper Archer uh, when they were on approach to LAX. And it looks like the Piper Archer was in restricted airspace and there was no contact with that small plane. 1989, three years later, the FAA mandated, mandated the TCAS system, traffic mm-hmm. collision avoidance system on all airliners. And then they also mandated that if you're flying 30 miles within a major airport, you need to have a transponder. Mm-hmm. Do you want to explain what a transponder is? Yeah, we, yeah we, we actually talked about this. I think it was the last episode when we talked about your first flight. We said that when you're within 30 miles of a major airport, you have to yeah. be talking to ATC. You have to be able to be seen by them. And that is to minimize this risk. Drew, I, I want to come back to this TCAS system. It's an amazing system. It is that the pilots don't do anything with it. It is the airplanes that are talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And if there is a conflict, it'll give you what's called a resolution advisory. And each airplane tells the other one, this is what I am going to do. One airplane will climb, the other airplane will descend, and it actually gives you the vertical velocity, the band that you need to climb, like, hey, you you have to climb at 1000 feet per minute, or you have to descend at 500 feet per minute. And these systems are so advanced, that if you start to climb, and there's another airplane that's above you, Mm -hmm. it'll give you a second TA, uh, sorry, a a second resolution advisory, and it'll shrink your green band, and it'll tell you, stop climb or decrease climb, so that you don't climb into someone else. And all these airplanes are talking to each other, that's why we haven't had a, a collision in 36 years. And I, I don't see us, I, I hate to say never, I don't see it happening again with these, with the technology that we have with these systems. Well, the risk I see is people like me who are new that are so focused on flying a little plane, we forget to listen to ATC and straying into some airspace. But then, you know, the other thing that they had, so TCAS, the plane that I fly, Doug, the Piper Warrior, it has a low-budget TCAS. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's TCAS. Maybe it is. It shows the traffic, and mm-hmm. it will alert us. It will alert me if we're in traffic. Yeah. But the other things that they added after this accident, they created routes for small planes so that they can fly through busy airspace. Mm-hmm. And they also added alerts for the ATC controllers to see a potential conflict. So it's not just the planes. It's also ATC. Yeah, just like you said, hopefully it never happens. But, you know, with all the, with the traffic continuing to increase, it's inevitable that it could happen again. But, you know, we have a lot of safeguards, which when I'm in a small plane in one of the busiest, I constantly, you know, and it, I look around for other planes. I don't see any. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you, do you know why your instructors keep saying, don't worry about the instruments, look outside? Because you're, you're, flying, you're flying VFR, which is visual flight rules, which means yeah. that you're seeing and avoiding you're, you're not going through your instrument call right now. doesn't mean you don't need to look inside and make sure your airspeed and altitude are good. You should mm-hmm. always be cross-checking. But when you're VFR, it's all see and avoid, meaning I see another airplane, I'm going to avoid it. And if you're yeah. so focused on being heads down, then you're going to stray where you're not supposed to. You're not going to see the traffic out there. So that's that's part of the reason why. You're right. So look around, and I'm also very careful to maintain. So we put a bug. A bug is where you can put a little indication on your altitude, you know, to the altitude you want to be at. So we put that at 1,400 because we can't fly above 1,500 because that gets into the big planes airspace. Yeah, I don't really don't think about the traffic. I know that there's dozens of planes around me, <laughs> right? But my plane's looking out for them. Your planes are looking out for me. And so is we, ATC. We we call we call you guys bug smashers because you're because you're down low enough that your your windscreen <laughs> just gets like we we don't get the bugs up at altitude. You yeah. take care of all those down low. <laughs> you know, and I do see birds. I see large birds not that far from me. Yeah, <laughs> like just a little bit below. Let's get to our uh, next story. So the story happened the day uh, we last aired, and it is still unfolding. And we want everyone to know 
there's more information coming out before our next recording, but this is what we know right now. So this is from CNN. There were no survivors found after China's worst air disaster in more than a decade, state media says. So this was China Eastern Flight 5735. This was a 737-800, six years old. It crashed in southern China uh, last Monday. The plane was traveling from Kunming to Guangzhou with 123 passengers and nine crew on board. The flight data shows that it was cruising at 29,000 feet when it suddenly nosedived and impacted the mountain, mountainous terrain at a nearly vertical angle. The cause of the crash is not known yet, and the black boxes have yet to be recovered. Now, there's an update on this. They did yep, find one of the them. recorder, mm-hmm. and we'll come back to that. Hundreds of rescuers are combing the site of the crash for any clues, as well as human remains, which have yet to be found. The investigation into the crash will be led by the Civil Aviation Administration of China, CAAC, and assisted by the USNTSB, Boeing, CFM, which is the engine manufacturer, and the FAA will also play a role. Doug, it could take years before a final determination is made as to what caused the the crash. The media was quick to jump on Boeing's recent troubles with the 737 MAX and the 787 production issues, though it is premature given the fact that nothing is yet known about the the cause of the crash. I've seen a lot in the media and on social media, people saying, oh, it was probably the MCAS system. It wasn't. It definitely was not the MCAS system because the 737-800 does not have the MCAS system. This could go into a whole can of worms about Boeing and, and all this. Boeing has created this reputation for itself is the best way I can say it, where when something happens to one of its airplanes, now all of a sudden people go to these manufacturing defects and design mm-hmm. flaws. We don't know yet what it is. Was it was it human error? We don't know. Was it mechanical fa- failure? We don't know until we know. I've had a lot of people text me and ask what I what my thoughts are, and I've declined to answer because I, I don't want to blame the pilots. I don't want to blame the mechanics. I don't want to blame the airline. I don't want to blame anyone until we know. We, we have absolutely no clue what happened at this point. And so to sit here and speculate and Monday morning quarterback, it, it's disrespectful, in my opinion, to the passengers, to the crew, to the people who are actually on board this airplane. The other thing that people have to remember is that about 10,000 of these were delivered, 737s. Th- I think that's the most prevalent aircraft in the world, in the world, the Boeing 737. So proportionally, there are going to be more 737 incidents just because of that. And as far as speculating what happened, we don't want to do that. The voice recorder is going to give us a lot of information. I Maybe you'll disagree, but of the two black boxes, there's a flight data recorder and a voice recorder, and they have the voice recorder. I honestly think that will probably give us more information than the flight data recorder because we can hear in the co- what happened in the cockpit before the plane nosedive. Yeah, and I, I think we've talked about this in the past, why they separate those two, because if one becomes ir- irreparably damaged, they can at least get the data from one. We'll be able to hear what happened, meaning if it was... Uh, pilot error, if it was intentional, if it was something like that, we'll, we'll probably hear that on the CBR. If it was a mechanical failure, we may not know yet. We'll just hear the pilots saying something happened and, and they're fighting with this. So that's why it's important to find both and then hopefully piece both of those together to, to get a, a clearer view. It's going to take days for that data to get downloaded, which is why it's going to take a, a while for us to really know what, what happened to unfortunately to this airplane i will say though you know that i've taken a big break from social media and and part of the reason why is because i just can't stand all the misinformation out there i saw this picture of an airplane in a nosedive without a tail and someone said that this was that security footage of the airplane crashing Uh it doesn't have its tail and that's why it crashed and a bunch of people were quick to jump on it and say no this is an image from a National Geographic documentary about the Silk Air crash several years oh. ago. Oh, and wow. so people people are, are out there and they think they know. That's why I'm saying it is way, way too soon to even attempt to figure out or uh, to hypothesize as to what happened. We don't know. Whatever happened, Doug, it was very violent and we don't know what it was. Maybe it was a flight control failure could have been sabotage, but whatever been, happened, happened mm-hmm. very quickly and it was very violent because yeah. if you let a 737 go, engines fail, it basically glides. Mm-hmm. And this 
seemed like it was flying straight and level and then straight down. So something, yeah. something very violent happened. And I, I think with the voice recorder, well, that should, that hopefully will tell us what happened. Yeah, our, our thoughts are with the families of the victims. Absolutely. All right, moving on to the next article. This is from Reuters. Russian law creates new hurdle for foreign plane lessors. Russia passed a law allowing the country's airlines to re-register foreign-owned airplanes under new Russian titles. Drew, we've talked about this in the past, all those foreign-owned airplanes that are ultimately trapped inside of Russia. The illegal move makes it much more difficult for foreign lessors to repossess hundreds of Western-built airplanes worth billions of dollars that are now trapped in the country. The bill was signed by President Putin, which he claims is in response to crushing Western sanctions in the wake of the war in Ukraine. Bermuda and Ireland recently suspended the airworthiness certificates of all Russian-leased aircraft registered in those two countries. Re-registering the planes in Russia aims to keep them flying domestically by approving new domestic safety protocols. International aviation law forbids an aircraft to be registered in two countries at the same time, thus making this move illegal. This is the most important thing, Drew, from this this whole thing right here. A source at one Russian airline spoke out about the move, saying, in quote, we hope to avoid registering our planes in Russia. We want to return them to the leasing companies. The airline would become an accomplice. Mm-hmm. The law provides a way to register in Russia, but does not oblige the airline to do so. And then they went on to say, it is the first step to kidnapping the airplanes. Yeah, I think what a, what what a poignant said, statement. Well, no, absolutely. This statement right here, the airline would become an accomplice. If this is this would be a crime. And how are they going to ever fly to foreign countries, you know, with an airplane that's not properly registered? <laughs> I, I don't know how that I don't know how that happens. So, Doug, in Russia, there are 650 Western built aircraft. 487 of them are not Russian owned. So this is more, way more than half the fleet is leased from some bank or some company, which is probably overseas. The biggest one is this uh, leasing company called Aircap mm-hmm. in Dublin, based in Dublin. They have $2.5 billion of aircraft, worth of aircraft being leased to Russian airlines. I don't know how this plays out because this, res- this situation with Russia and Ukraine is, is far from being over. As far as I've seen, none of these airplanes have been repossessed. I think they tried to repossess two of them. I believe in Turkey, we can go back and look at this. They got all those planes back into Russia, and they're going to be able to fly around within Russia with these new rules that they're making up on their own. <laughs> well, I think it's funny that they're, Putin's claim that they're re-registering these in, in Russia so that they can legally fly with an air, airworthiness certificate. This is an illegal move. So what does he care if they can legally fly or not? All he has to do right. is... Instead of, of re-registering them in Russia, all he has to do is sign a law saying they're legal to fly within Russia. You don't have to re-register them. Like it, it's getting ridiculous. But you're re-registering re-registering them in Russia. So does that mean that Russia now owns them and controls them, and the leasing company, which actually owns the plane, has no rights to the plane? That's, that seems like that, that's what he's saying. I think that's what he's saying. Yes. Yeah. Good, good luck with good, that. I mean, if, good for this. Good for this source at the Russian airline, though, saying we we don't want this. You know, this is a bigger conversation about geopolitics, but honestly, we could go be we could be going back to a Cold War situation where the Russian Aeroflot hardly flew anywhere. They flew to a couple friendly countries, and then Soviet Union dissolved, and Aeroflot flew everywhere, like everyone else, to San Francisco, to Cancun. Mm-hmm. Are we going back to where they only fly to a few friendly countries and within Russia? We'll hopefully see. not. Ho- I, hopefully this gets resolved. All right, let's get to some good news, Doug. So this is from the Orlando Business Journal. Over 2,000 markets of opportunity en route for Spirit, Fron- Spirit Frontier following merger, the CEO says. These two airlines are set to merge, providing regulator investor, provided they get regulator, investor, and union approval. Together, the combined airlines will have more than 350 new aircraft on order and foresee the need to nearly double the current order. Doug. Yeah. 350 planes. And they, and they want to go up to 700 on order. Okay. Alaska, which we consider a big airline, right? One of the majors, 321 aircraft. So mm-hmm. off the bat, they're bigger than Alaska. JetBlue, only 282. United, 858. American, 862. So with 700 aircraft, that's putting them... Not far from the big three. Is big this four. the is this the catalyst that drives JetBlue and Alaska 
together and possibly yeah. Hawaiian, as we talked about years ago on our decade prediction episode. I, We've been we, talking I, about this for two years. I digress. <laughs> we've got no. We've got I mean, yeah, JetBlue, Alaska. Just go ahead and merge. We're tired. I mean, we've we've told you what you need to do. Now you have Frontier and Spirit merging. Frontier CEO Barry Biffle <laughs> <laughs> said the company has identified over two thousand routes of opportunity. Routes where the airline can drop the average fare by twenty to seventy percent and still make money, even the, with these fuel prices. That's amazing. Spirit CEO Ted Christie said. Quote, we have a couple examples here like Eugene, Oregon or Worcester, Massachusetts, those types of places where we've either never served or had difficulty making them work. The combined airline will probably do a much better job at making those types of markets work, unquote. When asked about current gas prices, the airline doesn't seem worried. Quote, we're burning 10 gallons to move a seat 1,000 miles versus 15 at the big airlines, Biffle said. (laughs) Your thoughts on all that? Drew, I was in Tampa the other day, and there were a lot of spirit gates by ours, and I heard a a boarding call for Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I had heard of Latrobe. I didn't know where it was. I had to look it up. Spirit's flying an A319 from Tampa to Latrobe. Granted, it's spring break right now, but still, if if Spirit is able to fly a mainline aircraft, these are not regional aircraft, and and Spirit has more seats in their A319s than Delta United and American do. They're yeah. able to fly service to the you know small town in Pennsylvania. Where else are they able to fly and, and well, make it work? Yeah, I feel like I'm promoting these airlines, but if they're able to do this and fly to Latrobe, which I'm not exactly sure even where that is, that eliminates the need for EAS. If they can do it profitably, that's the best way to do it and get these small cities some service and their prices are low at a decent price. That's great. We're burning 10 gallons to move a seat 1,000 miles versus 15 at the big airlines. And I'm thinking, so that's because they have more seats on their planes, right? So the cost for, per available seat mile is less. And they have um, mostly an Airbus fleet, A319s and A320s, mm-hmm. pretty new. So you have that efficiency. Is there anything else you can see how they can move people for much cheaper than the big airlines? Part of it is is their cost structure. As you said, they, they do have more seats on their airplanes, which means that their chasm, their cost per available seat miles lower. And part of part of the reason that, or part of what drives that chasm down is they have a much younger workforce. A lot of people mm-hmm. who, who fly corporate end up going to Frontier as a stepping stone to Delta, American, United, Southwest, which means that they're only at that airline for two, three, maybe four years. So you don't have these legacy pilots who have been there for 12 plus years making the, the bigger dollars. Twice they or move three on, times as much. Because they move on to the, the major airlines then yeah. from these stepping stone airlines. And they also, they will, they use contractors to do their ramp, you know, so whomever is available and there's a lot and it's very competitive. Whereas a lot of the majors have a union workforce which is better paid and has more benefits. And, you know, we can discuss all day the the pluses and minuses of a more experienced workforce, right? Mm -hmm. We'll see what happens. I'm just still hoping that once they merge, they improve their product. (laughs) Here here we go again. (laughs) (laughs) Because they will, um, because even Southwest, right? Southwest Low Fair Airline, they still have a decent product, right? Mm -hmm. With uh, drinks and I think they have Wi-Fi. Yeah, they I do. don't think they have entertainment, but they, they have, have streaming, streaming entertainment. Oh, OK. So we'll see if they can throw the passengers some crumbs, you know, in terms <laughs> of, you know, niceties, not just a, a seat, which is like two inches thick. And yeah, not, know, not right just a, a, a bus service. All right. Yeah. The, this next article is from CNBC. Boeing in talks for landmark Delta 737 Max order. Delta's in talks with Boeing for an order of up to 100 737 Max 10s, the largest largest variant. If the deal goes through, it'll be Delta's first order for the newest version of the venerable 737. Currently, Delta is the only major U.S. carrier without the 737 MAX, as it has been more inclined in the last decade to order planes from Boeing's main rival, Airbus. The deal could come as early as next month, though both Boeing and Delta declined to comment. As for Boeing, it has yet to win certification for the MAX 10. I believe, looking at the numbers, this is their replacement for the 757-200. They have 111 757s. They have ordered 100 of these. We've talked about the comparison between the 737 MAX 10 and the 757, but just a reminder, 757, 155 feet long, 
737 MAX 144, so just 10 feet. I don't know how they're going to squeeze the same amount of passengers in a, a plane that's 10 feet shorter. The capacity of a 757 is 199 seats on Delta itself, looking at their website. The MAX, we don't know what the configurations are going to be for sure, but they're saying it can seat 210 210 up to 210 deltas 900s which you have flown i'm sure mm-hmm. many times 180 seats the airline that we work for it's about the same right 179 180 seats on the 900 what do you think this what do you think the mission of these maxes will be for delta i don't know if they necessarily have a mission yet i'm i'm wondering if this was a jet fuel cost decision as we've talked about many times, Delta has historically bought the end of the production cycle airplanes, right? They they bought 130, 737, 900 ERs as the MAX was getting introduced, which mm-hmm. they got at a great price, but it's 20% less efficient than the mm-hmm. MAX, which, it, you know, it's great that they're not paying a lot for those airplanes, but as fuel costs have risen now, I'm wondering if Delta is looking at this and seeing that their competitors are able to fly the same number of passengers more efficiently. And that's part of the reason why they're doing this. Now, Delta also announced a year ago during the pandemic that they're retiring all of their 767-300s. They didn't say anything about the 757. They have a common Mm. pilot group for both of those fleets. So to me, it doesn't make sense if they're getting rid of the 76 to keep this small 750, I call it small, Delta still has like 70 757s, Yeah, but going down from their 100 or however many they had 767s, the fleet is shrinking. And, and as you said, they need a replacement for it. Even if it is not a one-to-one seat swap between the 757-200 and the MAX-10, I could see them using the MAX-10 on a lot of their 757 routes. And yeah. Delta Delta uses their 757s in a, a different way than a lot of airlines do and have in the past. They flow a lot of them through Atlanta to Florida to Cancun to high-density type destinations on mm-hmm. relatively short routes. So they don't, they're, they're not oh, okay. using the 757 the way that it was meant to be used on some of these longer, efficient... What did they fly to Honolulu? To, what do they fly to Hawaii? They they, they fly, fly a mix of 757s, 737s, A330s from some of the hubs. Okay. It's it's a it's a mix. So you're saying, yeah, because I'm thinking primarily these would be Transcon airplane flying Transcon routes or to Hawaii, but you're saying no, it could be. I'm, high I'm saying no. I, I think that they're going to use these on the the higher density routes out of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I, Drew, I was on a, a Delta 757 from Atlanta to Savannah several years ago. That was like a 170 mile flight on a yeah. 757. That is not efficient. It's it's moving a lot of people a very short distance. A more efficient Max 10, I think, is better suited for missions like that. Yeah, I, just off the bat, looking at this comparison, Boeing 757 total thrust 80,000 pounds. 737 Max total thrust 58,000. So that's about 20,000 difference, right? So a 25 percent reduction in power, which would go almost hand in hand with fuel burn, mm-hmm. right? And it's probably going to be even more savings because they're more efficient engines and the plane is lighter and all that good stuff. So they're probably going to save 30% at least off the top on fuel. They'll be able to take almost the same passenger load. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be huge. 737 MAX can go to Hawaii, 3,299 nautical miles. From the West Coast, it's just over 2,000 nautical miles from San Francisco to Honolulu. Mm-hmm. So these planes could easily could do, do it. Yeah. But you and I are waiting to see, even at our airline, we are getting 737 MAXs. We don't know how they will be configured. Are they, the MAX will they 10, configured yeah. In, you know, the MAX 10, mm-hmm. will it be a variety of configurations or will they do specific Transcon premium routes and maybe routes to Hawaii? and to the Azores, or who knows. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Next story, also a good story, Doug. USA Today, Canada to drop COVID testing requirements for vaccinated travelers. Canada's ministry Minister of Health, Jean-Yves Duclos, announced Thursday that the country will drop COVID testing for vaccinated passengers beginning at midnight on April 1st. Case counts in Canada have been rapidly dropping and have reached a fraction of the most recent Omicron-driven surge. Quote, we are in a much better position today than in 2020, Duclos said. 
High vaccination rates and strong adherence to public health measures have pushed us through the peak of the Omicron wave, unquote. Unvaccinated travelers are only allowed to enter, only allowed entry under certain circumstances and will need to test as well as quarantine for 14 days. A handful of fully vaccinated travelers will still be tested upon arrival as part of Canada's random testing surveillance program. This is great news. It's a great step. If only the U.S. would join them, as a lot of other countries have gone in this direction. Yeah, it's like we're going to be following all these countries that have opened up. And our case rates are, I would say they're very similar to Canada, this you know massive drop in case rates. So I would just tell the president in his own words, come on, man. <laughs> Get with the program and lift those restrictions. But just as I said, you know, I'm thinking the floodgates will open when the testing is removed for the U.S. But like I said, my boss said there's no they're, they're already open Forward bookings are, <laughs> yeah. you know, are amazing even without this. So we don't have to wait for it. Mm-hmm. But um, it would it would ease travel even more, which is what we need. True. That was a lot of news to cover. Let's get back into our lane here. Things that we enjoy talking about. This week's ops topic comes from a listener, Noah. He was recently on a flight from Boston to LaGuardia. And I'm going to paraphrase this because it was quite the story. I'm, I <laughs> try to cut it down into something that's not confusing for the listeners and they still understand what the question is. And he is writing this to me as he's sitting he's on, like plane, on the ramp wondering yeah. what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> so Noah, no, picture Noah sitting on the ground in Boston, boarded a flight to LaGuardia, and it was put on a ground stop for weather in New York. Passengers were initially offered egress, which means they're at the gate, they're told they can get off if they want to, before they were then immediately told sit down because they could actually leave for New York. They pushed back, waited, then had a gate return to replace some crew members who ultimately probably timed out. Drew, here's the question. Noah's wondering what the thought process was in operations with all the changes. The sit down, Stand up, sit down, stand up, go, come back. What's going on in operations? <laughs> There's a bunch of things that could be going on. This is my life during the summer, especially with the thunderstorms along the East Coast. So he's saying that they were on a ground stop and they were told to sit down quickly because the ground stop was lifted. What we don't know from this is whether there was an ATC flow program. So the first thing is you have a ground stop, which is nothing can leave. And it'll t- it'll say... LaGuardia is on a ground stop from tier one. Tier one tier one would be the contiguous airspaces around New York. Tier two would be the next level, you know, further out. So we don't know. It could have been tier one, tier two. Usually it's the close in that gets hit the hardest, right? Because the tier two and tier three from San Francisco, that would be tier four, I believe. They're already on the way. What could have happened is the ground stop was lifted and the airline was like, oh, ground stop lifted. Let's go. But what happens is immediately after a ground stop is lifted, 90% of the time, there's a flow program put in. So at first, nothing can move, and then things can move, but then the flights are assigned an ATC flow time. Mm -hmm. So what may have happened is a ground stop was lifted, they pushed out, and then they were assigned a flow time, which could have been another half an hour or 15 minutes. And I'm, I'm speculating as to what happened, but we see these scenarios all the time. They push back. Now the ground stop is lifted. But now they're on a flow program. They're not going to leave for 30 minutes. Now there's a crew that needs to get to LaGuardia to operate a flight. Maybe they were booked on the next one, which is now delayed further. And operations, which is where I work, are like, oh, we still have that plane out there. We can get this crew on. We don't have a wheels up for another 30 minutes. Let's try and get this crew on. So somewhere in the interim, something changed again where their flow program improved or they got a slot to take off immediately. And the tower will say, I mean, they have their flow time, but the local tower can say, hey, we have an opening. We can get you off the ground now using another route that's available. Then everything changed and it's out of there. Yeah. That's what I think happened. The, what are this, your thoughts? I'm sure well, you experienced this. Yeah. This reminds me of a story that my mom had. And I think Marissa had this too. They were, they were on different flights at, at different times, but they both had a flight that was canceled and they were told that they needed the airplane and the crew for a, a different routing. And it was the last flight of the night, which meant that they had to spend the night either at the airport or in a hotel near the airport. Yeah. And of, of course it's upsetting for the passengers, but unfortunately this is where sometimes the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, yep. meaning we need this airplane and this crew to do something else. And if we don't do that, it is going to create more havoc than just canceling or delaying one single flight. And it's unfortunate yeah. when you are that person who is on that flight 
But you have to realize if, if your flight goes, it could lead to two cancellations or three cancellations or, four. you, you know, you, you can see how it, it could snowball like that. A lot of times passengers will blame the airline saying, oh, you can make more money on that route instead of us. That's why you're canceling. No, in operations, we, we're not looking at that. I mean, we are looking at how can we disservice the least amount of people exactly. as possible. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking, you know, this is where you're not looking you're at yields. Yields are a quarterly thing. We, we, we see yields in, in April and and July. We don't care about it in no. in the, the the daily operations. Yeah, we're trying to get most of the people home, if not all of the people. And sometimes that involves hard decisions. If you have a flight that's booked to 10 going to Johnstown and another express flight that's booked to 75, you are going to protect the flight that's booked to 75 and try and get those 10 people to Johnstown some other way or get another plane for that. That's just, I'm sure the people that are listening completely understand that (laughs) because we are helping the public because that's 75 people. So yeah, the needs of the many outweigh. Now we keep saying that, but I don't want it to sound like we're insensitive. Mm -hmm. I don't, I cannot tell you the number of flights we've held for one person because that one person is an unaccompanied minor. And this is the last flight of the night that one person is a lady in a wheelchair. If she's stuck in Washington, she's going to be completely alone and with no one to help her. So mm-hmm. it's not always the needs of the, the many <laughs> yes. outweigh. We are sensitive. Noah, thank you for that. I, I really like how, so in the moment, some of our listeners are sending us questions as to what's happening to them on airplanes because they're confused or so please, keep, please keep doing that. If mm-hmm. you're listening, if you're on a plane someplace, Send us a message. You have several ways of getting in touch with us. We love these questions and we love to answer them. Noah, thanks for the material. That, yeah, it's, <laughs> that was like five to 10 minutes. Of it's an off show. topic that Drew and I don't have to come up with. We we have to answer it, but we don't have to sit there and think what's our ops topic for this week. Yeah. And sometimes I will respond. Doug or I will respond to you. That's a good question. Let me answer it on the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doug, we talk a little bit about non-revving on this show, that, but not nearly as much as on our friend Tyler's podcast, Non-Rev Lounge. I want to do a quick tangent right there. Okay. I don't know if Tyler met us through this podcast or via Twitter, but Tyler's a friend. He's an airplane spotter. We have this podcast. He's listened to it. He started his own podcast. And now, you know, we're trading listeners back and forth, which is awesome. I had my first post-COVID dinner party this weekend. And one of my guests was Chathan, who I talk about, who will probably be on the show eventually, right? Mm-hmm. He worked for IATA, and he did an article on the center of gravity of aviation, which we talked about. And then I learned he's the one who wrote that article. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have him on the show. But at the dinner party, we're talking about his podcast. So he has now started a podcast. Oh, really? So Doug, effective immediately, stop telling people, t- stop telling friends that we're doing a podcast because they will start their own. And then we have to share <laughs> listeners with all these people. Uh, so I'm just kidding. No, the more, the better. The name of his podcast is jet lagged and it focuses not so much on the planes, but it focused on travel and just being jet lagged in a foreign country, how that kind of puts you in a state of, Spending I don't want to say money. Unease, that <laughs> you didn't talk about that. No, it puts you in a state of being free and making and discovering yourself. Mm-hmm. But go and listen. It's called Jet Lagged. It's a nice listen. If you guys are listening, stop starting your own podcast. <clears throat> we need listeners. That said, Doug, you are new to the airline industry. Thus, your family is new to all the benefits, quote unquote, that are associated with working for an airline. Your mom just tried to non-rev for the first time. How did it go? tried is the keyword here. <laughs> Ultimately, what happened here was we, we knew that I was having my last flight from Chicago to San Francisco. And my mom was was planning on coming out here. She, she's out here right now for the next couple of weeks while I'm at training. And I said, well, instead of just flying from Denver to San Francisco or Sacramento, why don't you go to Chicago? You have friends there. You can see them. And then you can fly on my flight. I can get you from Chicago to San Francisco. It, it would be fun to have her on my last flight. She she has friends there and she's coming here. I, I was like, it's perfect. I didn't want to risk the non-rev on that flight. So I bought her a ticket. From... Wait, no, stop, stop for a moment. Because when you were planning this, weren't there like 50 seats open, 40 seats open? Like there was all this availability well, for her to get to Chicago. The, yes, yes. I, and I'll, I'll get to that piece in a sec. The Chicago to San Francisco flight, I didn't care what the loads were. I wasn't going to look. I didn't want that stress. I just bought her a ticket. And I said, 
we will we will try and non-rev you to Chicago a day or two prior, giving you some time that if you don't get there on the first try, at least you'll get there in time for the flight on Tuesday. That mm. was the plan. Mm-hmm. I'd been following the loads. I had her listed on like a mid-morning flight. My dad even suggested, well, we can get to the airport early because he was leaving on a business trip that day. He said, I'm fine waiting at the airport. Let's list her on the earliest flight possible. And then this is on Tuesday, right? This, this is on the Monday. day of your flight. This is Monday, on Monday. The, the day okay. before okay. they got to the airport super early or, or they were going to get to the airport super early. I had her listed on the first flight all day, Saturday and Sunday. There were all day, Saturday morning, Sunday. There were 50 plus seats on every single flight. OK. And then they predicted a really bad snowstorm. It wasn't even that it was it was on its way. There was no <laughs> snow anywhere in the West, but they were predicting this really bad storm. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden the loads just got zapped all of the non-stops to chicago were oversold at this point and, and i'm thinking well what what do we do the non-rev special send her through somewhere else non-rev her through somewhere else colorado springs lincoln nebraska uh <laughs> las vegas i was looking at literally everything argo argo but drew because of the weather i i could get her to and i i was laughing about it i said i can get you to literally any city in the united states and there are 50 open seats from that city to Chicago. The problem is the flights out of Denver, every single flight out of Denver was looking like it was oversold. So I ended up buying her a ticket to Chicago through Hayden, (laughs) which is a ski resort town in Western Colorado. So she flew from Denver to Hayden to not a not an airline hub where you not not an airline hub, but get this. She said there were five people on her airplane. They were mm-hmm. flying from Denver to Chicago through Hayden. It was it was other non-revs and people doing the exact same thing that she did. <laughs> so you're using reverse psychology and using the flyover states yes, as a connection point. As a connection point. <laughs> <laughs> but you got a good price, right? It was a good price. It was a good price. Good yeah. price. And and I was glad that I did it. It removed all the stress because I was gonna be I, I was flying that day. And if if she wasn't on a flight and I had to leave, I couldn't have helped her at that point. Like she was on her own. So it, yeah, it worked exactly. out. Yeah. And it was and the same plane. It was so it was a different flight. They, so they, had, a, they had a D plane, but yeah, it was, it was easy. They got right back on. Yeah, it was, it was great. Okay. So she got to Chicago on Monday and then mm-hmm. she was there Monday and then she met you for your last flight. Um, she met you at the gate. She did. She met us at the gate. And then I, I talked to the gate agents. They allowed her to pre-board with active military. That way she could come in the flight deck. So she got to stand in the in the flight deck and, and watch us pre-flight, got to hear us brief it up, got to see everything, and then went back to her seat. And, and was she in she first was, class? No, she wasn't. Okay. No, she was in like the third to last row or, or something. <laughs> So she she goes and sits back in her seat. And like I said, I, I got up and did the announcement from mm-hmm. from the front of first class. And at, at the end, after giving flight time and ride conditions and everything, I, I said, and this is this is my last flight on this beautiful airplane. I'm I'm moving up to the international wide bodies starting next week. And to celebrate this occasion, my mom is sitting in the back. Oh, Drew, that's great. Drew, the whole plane started clapping oh, when, I, when I said that. And I guarantee, I, I haven't asked her this, but I guarantee she, she probably had a tear in her eye after, yeah, I, sure. after I said that. And she was telling me that she didn't make any indication that it was her. Mm-hmm. But another passenger had seen her in the flight deck mm-hmm. and turned, her. Around, turned around and was like, is it you? Is it? And she's like, yes, begrudgingly. And the other and passenger, she's the only one not clapping. The other passenger is like, it's her. It's her. <laughs> oh, she was probably so proud right then. I, I wish I was there to see that. I wonder if she could she could see you making the announcement. Was she in the aisle or the window? She was in the aisle. Oh, so she probably saw that. She probably saw. Mm-hmm. There's a really nice picture of Doug and his mom in the cockpit. You both really look really happy. Now, your dad has still not flown with you. So that'll be a big thing, too, because he's an av geek. Mm-hmm. But it'll be on a triple seven. It'll be on a triple. <laughs> but the problem with that is I'm going to be on reserve, meaning I won't know what I'm flying until the day prior. Yeah. Probably what we'll have to do is fly my parents out here and sit at the house for like two weeks while I'm on reserve and just say, okay, dad, have your bag ready. When I get the call, you're going with me. <laughs> right. If we don't know and where we're going, have a COVID test ready in your bag because we might end up somewhere where you need it to get back. <laughs> right. Exactly. And knowing Dale, he's going to get like a confirmed ticket for like $0. He's going to be sitting in one A. Yeah. <laughs> and then he can actually see you right there when you're making the announcement. If if the triple seven captain lets you have that 
freedom to make all the announcements yeah. which i'm sure they will <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's funny all right drew let's let's uh do a go around not a circle back let's do a go around your piper warrior memoir is getting listeners excited about flying we received two comments after our last episode the first one is from kd i think it's kd jong kd jong okay and there's no first name tell us your first name because if that way we can, you know identify you better yeah by, by your first name he he or she said can't wait for more private pilot license memoirs i'm just starting my flight training with my first lesson this wednesday so it'll be fun to follow along with drew as he goes through this training at the same time and then we got another one who's this from <laughs> This is from Charlie Gibbs. Oh, yeah. Okay, from our, our buddy Charlie. Yeah, he goes, no, 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 Drew. What have you done? I'm Googling flight lessons now at my local airport, Blackpool, United Kingdom. I'm blaming you and your latest podcast, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We can all blame Matt Johnson, who was on this podcast twice. And, you know, I'm getting a little restless in my middle age. I want to learn something new. And I was, I love aviation. So I was thinking about getting my dispatcher's license. Not for work, because I don't want to necessarily be a dispatcher, but I just want to be more knowledgeable mm-hmm. about this field that I work in. And, you know, everyone knows I love planes. And Matt was like, why don't you just get your private pilot's license? <laughs> in, not, in a completely Matt way, right? Not very nice. And at first I was a little upset. It's like, I'm trying to tell you something I want to do. And you're like, bash. And then I'm like, wait. <laughs> the light went on and I'm like, he is so right. <laughs> And now I'm doing it, you know, and, and I started just like Charlie. I started checking flight schools and I've done my second flight and I love it. You guys, you you may not do it, but you've at least got to try it. And that feeling, Charlie, when you first take off and we want to know after your first flight, let us know how it was. There is a sense of being not in control, which is not very nice, but you kind of have to let go a little bit. I want to know everything about everything on day one. Don't be like me. Just let go and just enjoy it and just see if you like the feeling of being in the air and controlling a plane. It's a real rush and I'm sure you'll like it. I'm definitely intent on getting my private pilot's license, so I will continue it. And for all you guys, KD John, please tell us your first name. I don't want to use (laughs) your handle and Charlie. Keep us updated. And I may even contact you or you're welcome to contact me if uh, you're doing your flight training and you have a question or you just want to vent or commiserate about how, how hard it is. And you guys, it is not easy. There's so much stuff to learn about weather, about weight and balance. It's not just, you know, the beautiful views and it's not Microsoft Flight Simulator. <laughs> it's the real thing. So, you know, it's it's, it's no joke. Drew, be- before we close, I-, I have one question. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. We've talked about how expensive flying is, and it's it's not a cheap hobby. But we we also have said people don't have to just go for their private pilot's license. They can go to fly one flight to just get that experience of what it's like being a pilot how much how much did your first flight cost with the insurance gas and instruction i think it was around a hundred dollars okay so there you go you you don't we're not even we're not even telling you guys you have to go pay ten thousand bucks or whatever it is to get your private pilot's license if you just want to experience it you can find a flight school and you can say "I, i i just want an introductory flight to to decide if i want to do this and you can go and you can pay 100 maybe 200 in certain places it it you know it's not it is it is expensive if you are trying to make that a career. If you just want that experience, that one time experience, it's 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 a hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks. Do it. I one hundred percent encourage you to do it. Yeah, and what you said, it doesn't have to be about a career. I'm doing it for fun, and this is something that was on my bucket list that I wanted to do in the future, and I'm actually doing it. But to be honest. Could that be a possibility? Could I get my private pilot's license and love it so much that I get my instrument rating, my CFI? You know, we talk about this ad nauseum, how how much of a shortage there are for pilots. So if you want to do this, even later on in life, it's totally accessible. Or you may just want to just do it for fun like me. I mean, we'll keep you updated. And uh, if I talk too much about it, please let us know to uh, tone it down because I will have a hard time toning it down because I'll get more and more excited <laughs> yeah. about it. So yeah, keep us updated um, on your progress, uh, Charlie and KD Jong. Yeah, good luck, guys. Well, to the rest of our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. 
Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. Listeners, thanks to all of our listeners for your support, your contributions, your ideas, your rants, your questions. We love it all. Most of all, thanks for joining the conversation with us. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. 